Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. I've been talking about Leon Tailoring for years, ever since I came to Indianapolis almost 20 years ago. You know why I talk about them? Because Leon Tailoring does a really good job of getting you quality clothes, whether it's something tailor-made, something ready-made, something custom-made. they got a career services division uh, for the young people in life who are looking for that first job. No matter what it is you're looking for, when it comes to clothing over at Leon Tailoring, they will look out for you and they will take care of you. So when you swing on by at 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis, tell them Abdul sent you and say hi to Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy and pick yourself something up or better yet something for your loved one they'll appreciate it leon tailoring 809 north delaware downtown indianapolis good morning everyone it's 9 15 so we'll go ahead and get started i believe i've caught every media person um, and given you permission to record local files if i've missed someone please just let me know uh, via the chat function now we'll turn things over to Kevin Brinegar and Jason Beers to discuss Indiana's leaking talent pipeline and the policies um, and actions that we think can help repair it. Jason and Kevin, Kevin, please go ahead. There we go. Been at this for a couple of years and still forget to look to see if I'm muted. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. And thank you for joining us um, on this Giving Tuesday. Um, I'd like the record to show that Jason and I may be the only two people you encounter today who do not ask you for money. Um, I've already looked at my emails and I have like 30 different messages um, related to that. Um, we appreciate you joining us here for this virtual press briefing. Um, and we're going to go through, um, or I'm going to go through an abbreviated version of a presentation and, and data that I put together actually for our Spring Board of Directors meeting. We subsequently uh, have been adding additional data points and um, turned it into a white paper uh, that we call Indiana's Leaking Talent Pipeline. Uh, we've given that white paper uh, to the governor's office, the governor's workforce cabinet. Uh, and our uh, members of our lobbying team have uh, given it to every member of the General Assembly that they've met with over the course of this summer and fall. And um, we think that it's helped drive attention to one of the biggest challenges facing our state, probably the biggest challenge facing our state. Um, and we're pleased that many um, of the ideas and the recommendations uh, have found their way into the recommendations of the governor's workforce cabinet. And, and Jason will talk about how uh, those ideas and those priorities are aligned. So uh, with that, let me get started. Um, Jason will go to the first slide. This is really this one uh, slide and, and set of data encapsulates um, what the challenge that we're facing. And what you have here is the percentage of the adult population um, with a, uh, at least an associate's degree or high quality credential. And you can see that Indiana's at 48.3%. And we've made significant progress over the last 10 years. We started, uh, when we started looking at this measure in 2012, we were at 33%. So we've come a long way, but then you look at the rankings and lo and behold, we're still ranked 37th. And 
Uh, those of you that have been around the state house, been around the Indiana chamber for any part of the last 20 years, um, know that we have been working uh, vigorously to improve our tax climate, our business climate, and our regulatory climate. And over that 20 year period that I call the march out of mediocrity, we have um, improved those measures from bottom 10 states in many respects to top 10, where we haven't made the progress we need to make to stay competitive uh, as, po as competitive as possible is in our education and workforce rankings. You may recall that just a couple months ago, CNBC came out with their, their annual business climate rankings, and we had moved up four spots in the overall ranking, which was a, a, a composite of a number of different measures. But what really stood out about Indiana was that we ranked 48th, according to their measures, in our work quality and availability of our workforce. So that's a big challenge. This is a, a metric that we have been focused on for a long time. We have adopted the big goal that our Commission for Higher Education and the Lumina Foundation adopted, which is to get that number to 60% by the year 2025. We're not sure we're gonna get there, but um, we, we need to continue to make progress and we need to make progress at a faster rate than other states if we wanna improve our ranking. Let's go to the next slide, Jason. Um, one of the things that jumped out at me over the course of the summer is we always see the unemployment rate and the workforce participation rate as a single number. You know, the unemployment rate is 2.8% or 3%, and we've got 63 or 65% of the adult population actually actively working in the workforce. But when you break this down by education level, you see a stark contrast with those with bachelor's degree or higher uh, are in the workforce at 72%. Remember, the overall average right now is about 63%. Those with just a high school diploma are participating at barely 50%. And what really jumps out is, you, is that those individuals who do not have a high school diploma in Indiana, 60% um, of them are not uh, actively participating in the workforce. If we could lift up the skills of these individuals in those bottom two categories, we could fill a lot of the open jobs that we have in time. Indiana has twice as many job openings as we have. Um, part of the challenge starts at the very Shocked 
see the number there, 17% for our Hispanic students. This has to be an area of um, intense focus and, and effort because we are, um, you know, we're spending billions of dollars on our, on our cage system um, and, and getting results that are not adequate to um, serve our economy in the future. And we're not here today to blame anybody for anything. We're just saying, here's the facts, here's the data, and uh, we all need to redouble our efforts uh, if Indiana is going to be as competitive as it can possibly be in an increasingly knowledge-based economy. Okay, Jason. Um, and then we have a problem with the sort of the honesty and the accuracy <clears throat> of the uh, our graduation rates and some of our data. Uh, we say we have an 86.7% graduation rate statewide, but that includes about 8% of the students who really didn't meet all of the requirements for graduation, but were given a regular high school diploma. Nevertheless, you subtract those waivers out, our statewide graduation rate is actually only 78.8% and varies greatly by race. Let's pop that up there. 9% of the white students statewide were given a regular diploma with a waiver. Um, and I can tell you that there were it, the waiver rates vary dramatically across different school districts. There are two school districts in Marion County where uh, upwards of 25% of the students who got a regular high school diploma did so with a waiver. And you can see that the African-American students statewide, 24% uh, of them are, are given their diploma with a waiver. If you subtract that 24% from the percent that got a high school diploma, only 54% of African-American students in Indiana are graduating with a high school diploma where they met all of the requirements and expectations uh, and did so thus without a waiver. Let's go on. Um, we looked at a recent cohort of students um, statewide. This is the 2014-2015 uh, incoming high school freshman class. There were uh, 79,000 of them. Uh, we lost 8,000 before uh, they even graduated from high school. That's an unacceptably high loss rate. Um, you see that less than half of them enrolled in college, in public colleges. We don't have the, the private data. Um, uh, 25,000 or 32% persisted after two years. And in the end, only 23% uh, completed college. Those numbers are even, uh, percentages are even lower for our African-American students. Out of this 79,000 cohort, there were 9,100, 9,100 African-American students and only 966 of them graduated uh, with uh, and completed college. We have a lot of employers who want to expand and diversify their hiring and hire talented uh, African-American and Hispanic students. But the reality is um, this overall system is not producing very many of them. FAFSA, um, Jason's got um, some scars from trying to push through FAFSA. Our FAFSA completion rate, this is the free application for federal student aid which is the gate uh, to gateway to uh, federal assistance. It's all required for the next level jobs program. You see we're far behind the US average and passive completion. We're one of the lowest states in the country and the lowest in the Midwest. We've been trying to push legislation to make 
filling out the FAFSA form an expectation for high school graduation with opportunities for parents to opt out if they if they and students if they so choose. We've got to get this rate up because we're our families are leaving money on the table. Last year uh, was presented in committee that there was an estimated $63 million um, of unused federal aid because uh, families weren't uh, filling out the FAFSA rate at the, um, the, the rate of the US average. Related to that, 21st century scholars, um, this one really pains me. Um, of last year's high school freshman class, this year's sophomores, less than half, um, or actually less than 40% of those students who were eligible actually got enrolled in the program. This is uh, a program that will provide a free college tuition for low-income families. And of those 39% uh, that enrolled, less than half of them completed the three preparatory activities required to earn the scholarship. And they're, they're simple activities, plan your high school uh, curriculum, do a, a service project or, or extracurricular activity, and uh, watch the paying for college video. Go um, Indiana is not well served by having 289 school districts. Ladies and gentlemen, we're literally running a two-tiered K-12 education system because uh, the research shows and some conducted by, commissioned by our foundation that there are statistically significant differences in all measures of academic performance between the students from smaller districts defined as 2,000 students or less in all of K through 12 and those larger districts. That is differences in performance in iRead, iSTEP, which was back at the time of the study, uh, ACT, SAT tests, AP courses taken, AP tests completed. Um, kids are at a significant uh, academic and economic disadvantage if you live in a school district that has less than 2,000 students. And nearly 20% of those 289 districts have less than 1,000 students in all of K through 12, and half of those don't even offer physics one. So we need to get at that, and if not outright encourage consolidation, then at least um, require that every high school in the state offer uh, a minimum array of, of higher reaching courses. Uh, we think that ought to be tied to the college core. You've seen, uh, you've probably seen this um, chart by now uh, put forth by our Commissioner for Higher Education. Uh, we've had a, a precipitous drop in our college going rate here in Indiana just in the last five years. Um, and it's something that um, we will be working on with the General Assembly and the Commission to see what we can do to reverse that trend. Um, go, turning to our uh, Indiana Chamber's annual employer survey, um, this was released and, and you've seen the whole uh, slide deck uh, back in October, huge jump in the number of employers who say that they left jobs open in the past year due to underqualified applicants. Go from 45% to 74%. And there are other measures in this survey that say that uh, employers just can't find the people, uh, enough of the people with the skills that they need. 
Um, this brings us back to an earlier slide, which is the workforce participation rate by education level. If we can get these two groups of Hoosiers um, to better train, lift up their skills, then uh, we might stand a much better chance of them attaining living wage jobs that they that are worth getting up and going to every day and will increase our overall workforce participation rate, which is one of our goals as well. Um, Professor Mike Hicks from Ball State did some analysis of um, high school students and, and what they, they're doing after high school and versus high school only grads and reach a couple of you see there talking about our, our low education attainment besides the Indiana economy. We're, our economy is growing but not as fast as qualified college and certificate graduates to the modern economy and live farther and farther behind the national economy. That's just a fact and that's uh, this, and then this I believe this last slide for me uh, from Indiana. Uh, in a recent year we produced 60,000 lost almost half of them and uh, by five years, less than half of them retention with some uh, retention incentives, uh, possible change, put more of a, an onus on the, the institutions. So what are we going to do about this? Repairing Indiana's leaking Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everyone. Um, as Kevin said at the outset, we shared the, the, the data without some recommended prescriptions. And so, for the next couple of some of the policy directions that we've been discussing with lawmakers and others, um, and as Kevin said, um, our recommendations begin at the beginning. Um, we, there's perhaps no issue that's emerged with greater prominence um, in the wake of the pandemic than the lack of accessible and affordable child care and early childhood opportunities in Indiana. Obviously, that has implications for our students starting school ready to learn. It also has implications for adults to be able to participate in the workforce. We saw a lot of people um, pulled out of the workforce during the pandemic, and um, the availability just the, uh, that to a large degree is attributed to individuals not being able to find affordable or accessible childcare. So um, we have kind of a whole host of recommendations um, that are consistent with what's been come, what's coming out recently from both the Early Learning Advisory Council that was reconstituted with our support um, during the last legislative session, and even more recently um, with uh, recommendations from the governor's workforce cabinet. Um, just to give you kind of a, a quick run through of some of the areas that we're hoping um, the legislature will apply some attention this year. First, starting with eligibility. We just need to raise the threshold for families that qualify for both the on my way pre-K 
um, uh, subsidy, but but also for um, you know uh, birth birth to three, where um, that's a particularly um, a particular area where um, there's an inadequate supply of, of, of high quality seats. Um, secondly, um, it's been reported that there are maybe 80 plus pages of well-intended but largely onerous um, regulations that child care providers um, need, need to, to meet to meet that often infringes the ability of even you know, highly successful proven child care facilities to open up and expand the, their facilities to to other places, whether it be standalone centers or micro centers that could be placed in a place of business or a school district. We think that this is an area that, again, these are well-intentioned regulations, but many of them um, in, in the net really just become a, a hurdle that infringes our ability to provide more opportunities for, for um, young people and their families. Likewise, we have an antiquated um, system for how we reimburse um, providers. Um, we have what's called a market-based system currently, which essentially means that depending on where your facility is located, you receive a dramatically different reimbursement rate from, from the state. Um, if you, you know, qualify as a state-subsidized um, provider, we think that, that we should move to a an actual cost-based model that ensures that there's parity from you know, different parts of the state. Whether you're in a rural part of the state, an urban area, suburban area, um, we, we should make sure that that the um, the state funding that providers receiving um, has equity um, and it makes it easier for those um, facilities to operate and and, um, and expand whenever possible. Next, we have a, a fair number, maybe the majority of providers of state that aren't participating in the paths to quality. We think that if 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 a provider is receiving money from the state, it should be part of a common um, quality framework. And moreover, we think the existing framework should be revisited and make sure we have clear, objective, um, quantifiable milestones for both child development and kindergarten readiness moving forward. Um, and then um, we think that, as Kim pointed out, we've got major issues. Um, in fact, it's large, you could argue it's a broken system. It's very costly. On a good day, um, child care providers barely break even, and the wages for the workers we have are, are pretty depressed, which makes it difficult to, to keep child care workers. We think that the, the funding mechanism should account for that whenever possible and incent child care providers to increase their workers' wages and, whenever possible, raise their education skill level, which leads to the, the final recommendation on, on this issue, which is um, you know, the state with, with our support has made some substantial investments in the next level jobs program through either the workforce ready grant or the employer training grant that provides tuition-free training credentials. Currently, early learning is not on that list in part because it's about high wage, high demand. We certainly got the demand, but we don't have the wage, um, but we're hopeful that if some of these other measures are enacted, um, we'll be able to lift the wages. But in any case, we need some free high quality training opportunities that these individuals can, can get skilled up. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.